to Accountability Talks with AGA. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today, one of my favorite topics, artificial intelligence. We'll be talking about the ethics related to AI. And uh, to do that, I have two great guests from GAO. So let's start the show. Hello, and welcome to another AGA podcast. I'm very excited today. We have two wonderful guests. We're going to be talking about the ethics of artificial intelligence. Uh, it's kind of an interesting topic. I think you guys will enjoy it. So why don't we start off? We have uh, Mr. Taka Ariga. Please introduce yourself. Hi, Paul. It's so good to be back with the AGA community. My name is Taka Ariga. I'm GAO's Chief Data Scientist, and I also have the pleasure of leading our innovation lab. Okay, and we have uh, Farah Naz. Please go ahead. Hello, Paul. It's really a pleasure to be here with you today. My name is Farnaz Kakumasal. I'm an assistant director in GAO's Science, Technology, Assessment, and Analytics team. Okay, great to have you guys here. Um, so we're going to go through some topics, some questions, and uh, I think we'll just kind of have Taka take the first crack at them, and then, you know, Farnaz jump in there, of course, and uh, we'll have a good discussion. So why don't we start off? Uh, my first question for you guys is, you know, this is the topic of the day. So what do we mean by, you know, ethics or bias in regards to artificial intelligence? You know, how can AI or a bot be biased? Can you guys just explain that for me, Taka? Sure. Uh, as we know, you know, for the most part, humans are very uh, prone to bias in terms of their judgment, in terms of their ethical consideration. Um, the issue with AI is that because algorithms do not rest, so on a 24-7 basis, you can magnify those biases baked into the development of this algorithm in a, in a significant way. So when we talk about bias, it's not that the algorithms themselves are discriminatory, is really the data used to train and to predict those outcomes are sometimes intentionally or unintentionally include areas of biases. So example of that, it will be uh, facial recognition. I think I think a well-documented case where if you don't include diverse facial expression or diverse gender as well as ethnic background, Sometimes these facial recognition programs can, you know, not recognize certain social demographic group, which it potentially has a downstream problem if those models are being applied for, let's say, law enforcement purposes. And uh, can you talk a little bit about, I think there's some fundamental um, concepts here related to AI. I think they'd be interesting for us to talk about just, um, I think there's the four concepts. I don't know if, you're, if I'm, what I'm talking about, explainability and all that. Yeah, in general, there's been a lot of uh, artificial intelligence governance principles that have been developed, but there's a couple of uh, commonalities here. Uh, many of the principles talk about the notion of explainability. How do you explain the outcome of the model decision in a way that human can understand, for example, if your loan was denied for approval, the rationale behind those decisions? Uh, another one is transparency. Are we able to see the inner mechanics of those model in terms of how individual decisions are arrived or in terms of sequence of the decision, how are they layered on top of each other? So that's another um, part of the consideration here. And we, we introduced the concept of continuous monitoring as well because AI models tend to be prone to, for example, attack. Uh, they, they are prone to what we call model drift with the performance of the model, depending on time and location and other factors may have different performance parameter 
for example, if a model is deployed in Florida, you're going to have a very different performance than a model was deployed in, let's say, Minnesota using different profile of the data that was trained under. So those are the kind of attributes that we look for when we talk about um, uh, sort of a criteria beyond just the performance and accuracy of the model. And uh, Farnaz, is there anything you want to add here about just the high level, you know, what have you seen in your, you know, in your work as far as bias and artificial intelligence, this concept? Yes. So from the auditing community's perspective here, we're really focused on evidence and we're focused on criteria. So when we're talking about issues of bias and ethics, what we're trying to look for is what type of an ethical framework can we look to that would give us some practices that we can apply in our audit. We're also thinking about evidence. We're thinking about what type of information would be documented. So when we think about explainability along the AI life cycle, what types of documents should auditors collect? Um, or do, or do those documents exist? Do they help a third party understand how the model was developed, designed, all the way through deployment? And so those are the kinds of things in terms of evidence that we're interested in. And uh, when we're thinking about bias here, one thing that really comes up is the protective classes. So when we're looking at data representativeness, so we're thinking about unintended effects, we do have some legislation and um, that we can we can look to that we do for other um, other technologies that potentially could apply in this space. Yeah, Paul, and I'll just add that the, the issue is not necessarily monolithic. So, for example, on an autonomous driving solution, you may not necessarily want the nth degree of explainability on why you should make a right turn at this particular moment um, versus you might want a lot more explanation if this is a mortgage underwriting algorithm that deny you the loan on what constitutes sort of underwriting criteria. So uh, there's a lot of these um, nuances across use cases around domain that makes this into a very complicated issue. Right. Yeah. And I wanted to go into it a little bit more. Um, you gave us a couple of scenarios already, but, you know, are there other scenarios, you know, you, you give us some examples basically where AI could be biased, whether intentionally or not. And it could be, you know, in our just any scenario or, or it could be in a government accountability scenario as well. I'll go first. Uh, one prime example is around facial recognition uh, in terms of using algorithm to recognize certain facial feature either for law enforcement purposes or for biometrics purposes. And it's been well documented that many of the commercial solutions out there are having difficulty recognizing African-American, recognizing uh, Asian-Americans, and recognizing you know, Hispanics and other underrepresented minority because fundamentally the algorithms are very good at predicting what you tell the algorithm to predict, but if the training data set themselves was not representative of the society overall, you end up with a solution where the models are not recognizing the, the reality in which they operate within. Um, other examples of the, um, the type of uh, models that are having potential societal issues are around adjudication. So for example, um, you know, health and human services, they use AI models to support their uh, care, their benefits, adjudication, um, because AI is able to do that 24-7 without rest. It's really sort of augmenting uh, the sort of human's ability to triage literally millions and millions of applications incoming every day. Um, and then more and more agencies are started thinking about robotic process automation. And so that's in terms of the kind of credential that we provide to those robots are they unintentionally creating cybersecurity vulnerability 
as we automate more and more of our own processes. Uh, so for example, if RPA robots have blanket root access permission uh, for, for you know, convenience and for expediency, does that actually create issues if those bots are hacked through some sort of, of adversarial attacks? Um, so there are sort of proliferating set of challenges that are coming up as uh, more and more federal governments are thinking about uh, implementing their own AI solution. Um, and then one of the challenges that there doesn't seem to be a uniform definition on what constitute as artificial intelligence or a good grasp on what are all of the solutions that are being contemplated across the federal government. And maybe, um, yeah, far enough, maybe you can give us some examples from uh, maybe the audit world or financial world. Sure. One, um, one example from the audit space really is um, when we're using screen technology. Uh, where there are specific, um, you know, you can imagine TSA having some specific uh, parcels that they're trying to flag and the risks attached. So, you know, the system is, is, is told to identify specific risks, but are those risks broad enough? Uh, does, you know, um, are there issues that are potentially not flagged in the training part of the model that could uh, lead to some unintended effects? Another area really is HR, which has really been growing the use of AI in HR practices and you know, looking for certain characteristics and applications and screening from that perspective has also led to some uh, unintended effects. So, for instance, if you were to compare a human reviewing a few applications to see if an individual qualifies for a job versus the system doing it, there are some studies that note some differences that potentially have been related to bias. Yeah, and let's go a little deeper into audit. Let's, uh, I'll ask you again, Farnaz, um, you know, what are your perspectives on, you know, as far as green book, yellow book, um, what is the auditor's role um, as, you know, AI continues to proliferate out there? You know, what do you find is really important for the auditors to keep in mind? That's a great question, Paul. So for everything we do here at GAO, really the yellow book is our backdrop, right? It's where we get our guiding principles on how to assess, you know, efficiency, economy, and effectiveness of programs. But the internal controls, if I can also add, which were really part of some of the, the discussions we had with our final numbers in terms of do those governance structures exist? Issues around control environment, issues around control activities, risk assessment. Um, are those systems established? Um, and you'll quickly find that even literature is highlighting that these are aspects of what we in the auditing community would control as control activities are not really what the developer is thinking about, right? It's not really what the designer is thinking about the model when they're thinking about, you know, is the model accurate or not? So these types of gaps are key areas that I think we have to build some bridges over, uh, and we're beginning to do that. And the forum was was one way that really GAO is trying to leverage its, um, its ability to inform a diverse group of stakeholders about what matters in the auditing world when it relates to the yellow book, and when it relates to the green book. And let me follow up on that. Um, so from what you were saying, you know, the, the control activities in this, so it sounds like maybe, you know, traditionally this would be humans in the intervening here. They would, you know, be signing things or they would be monitoring or reviewing paperwork, right? Now, maybe in AI world, it's all bots or algorithms doing some of these functions, right? Is that so, again, I guess, how do you as an auditor you know, I don't know if you guys know, but I mean, what are some physical techniques so you can actually, you know, audit those controls that are now in place that 
the bot is doing versus the person? I guess you review the code or what's kind of the methodology? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to go. I mean, there are certain common elements that we will look at any technology, the requirements for the development, uh, design process, and also when it comes to specific data science technique, why were certain techniques chosen over others? So those are what we consider sort of governance related type of issue. And also once the solutions are implemented, what are the processes in place for tuning, for monitoring, um, just overall sort of um, governance of those solutions. So that's, you know, that's one aspect of it. Then I think relative to AI specifically, then you get into the issue of the kind of data that are available or to support the development, are those variables chosen for convenience or are they actually the right correlation to the kind of outcome that you're looking to predict? Um, so this is where we get down to conversations around if you're using certain variables that perhaps are part of the protected classes, such as gender, is there a document or rationale on what you're looking to achieve? Uh, and not necessarily just say we're going to avoid these variables because we don't want to get sued. Um, so some sort of rigorous uh, sort of documentation process to say we decided on these data sets, on these variables to develop these type of solutions for the, for the purpose that they're intended to. And then we have to get into whether the outcome uh, meets the statutory objective of those programs or whether you're violating, for example, the equal um, uh, sort of equal rights, uh, you know, any other sort of Title IX type of uh, statute. Um, so I think that's a sort of a programmatically important aspects of it. And then the last piece I'll just dive into is how do we want to collectively provide the oversight of AI solution? I think certainly program office has important roles to play. Certainly internal auditors have important roles to play relative to their nexus to the management program. But also, what does that mean for the external auditors? Do we come in once in a blue moon just to sort of assess the program? Or should we think about this in a much more of a continuous basis, given that the algorithm evolves as time, as more data becomes available? So how do we actually do these assessments so that, you know, it's not just every 12 months or every 18 months that we come in. Is How do we answer the question of equity in a continuous basis? And... Go ahead, uh, Farnas. If I could add um, this notion of continuous monitoring. So we are hearing a lot. The models will continually change. So from an audit perspective, really it's the processes um, that Taka was mentioning that we have to focus in on, the governance structures that led to the development of the design of the model. And that's really the efficiency piece. Otherwise, um, you know, an audit that's focused on one specific model in one specific given year is not really going to inform the, the oversight community. If we know we have a sense of the systems in place, the processes that we use to actually establish, are there documentary procedures uh, in place? What types of risk management uh, processes are the agencies or the developers themselves using to ensure when there is model drift, that they're aware of these changes and have their own mitigation plans in place? So for, you know, from that perspective, the internal controls and the yellow book really do give us a nice solid framework for what these audits potentially could look like versus model my model assessments, which will change in a given month, right? And Paul, just to give you a sense of the complexity of the issue, uh, it's one thing if a model is custom developed, uh, fully transparent using open source data, um, that we can sort of look into the underlying mechanics of those processing. 
it's a different conversation if these are commercially developed with a black box technique layer on top of that. Um, but even let's say we're able to look into the code, the models, and the data itself, there are questions around, you know, do we do line-by-line -line code review? Do we actually try to replicate the performance of those models given that there are nuances in operating environments? So, for example, somebody, you know, operating with an AWS developer's model may have a very different hyperparameter tuning for a model that needs to be replicated in Azure or some other cloud or on-prem environment. So those sort of a technical consideration are something that we still need to sort through um, to say in addition to the governance, in addition to the processes, but when it comes down to the technical artifacts, what do we collect and how do we assess them? Right, yeah, and I remember from I used, you know my auditing days, you know, one of the things, it was always very difficult sometimes to really identify the true cause of some of these issues or findings, but, you know, as auditors, you basically point out, well, whether or not we know the cause, we know what's happening here, and you guys need to fix it, right? So, you know, this, this AI is, is, appears to be biased, so the exact cause might be in that black box somewhere, but, you know, you guys need to address it, right? Yeah, this is where we need to work with our audit teams, depending on use case. There are a number of ways methodologically we can assess, whether it's by using our own synthetic data, whether it's just looking at the input and output to sort of infer the performance of those algorithms. There are a number of ways that we're thinking about this particular issue. So we're just at the beginning step of sort of helping GAO to come up with a framework that we could use knowing that there are large variability across use cases and domain applications. And then, yeah, let's talk a little bit more about that. So GAO specifically, let's start with Taka. Um, you know, what, what are you guys doing specifically related to this topic of AI ethics and AI bias, uh, I guess, with the Innovation Lab? You know, what, what is it that you guys are doing? For sure. Um, from a GAO perspective, we have been doing a lot of work around AI for quite a number of years now. In 2018, we convened our first Comptroller General Forum on the AI as a technology in itself and concluded that there will be significant impact down the road vis-a-vis uh, -vis, you know, the kind of performance that federal government should be able to generate from implementation of the AI system. Subsequently, we've done a lot of assessment around AI in drug development, AI in many other application uh, contexts. But overall, you know, where we saw as a gap in conversation was the idea of how do we conduct oversight of those AI systems. There's been a lot of principle-based governance structure that have been published, uh, but they are very high level. They're, they equate to sort of a Hippocratic oath that physicians, uh, you know, adhere to, thou shalt do no harm. But that is such a high level that it's really difficult to say, well, what does that mean when I'm developing a computer vision model? Or what does that mean when I'm developing a risk scoring model? So this is where our goal is to um, really take that high level principle and get it down to the implementation point of view so that we can actually evaluate them. Um, so the way that we're going about it is actually convening a cross-sectoral set of experts to help us address these issues of what are the criteria that are appropriate broader the standards that are appropriate, what should we think about the kind of artifacts that we should collect, and how do we actually evaluate them? And frankly, how do we delineate different concerns between bias, ethics, transparency, um, fairness, et cetera, so that we don't get ourselves into a thorny situation where we're saying my ethical framework is better than your ethical framework. Um, so 
it's sort of our first step at coming up with, a, at a high level, what are some of the commonality across all use cases of AI that our auditor can pay attention to? And our goal is to distill that into an initial version of a report, uh, hopefully sometime in early 2021, that will serve as the foundation for us to generate additional specific um, use case or domain-specific concern around AI oversight. Great. And then how about yourself, uh, Farah Naz? What, what, what are you all doing uh, in this area? As, uh, as Tava mentioned, the forum has really been our, our key focus because I think it will really allow us to get a sense of what a framework would potentially look like for auditors. And we are really interested in, you know, criteria. What is What type of criteria could be used to assess these systems? What types of, you know, data, documents, physical evidence, testimonial evidence would be would we need access to, and what would testing for bias look like? You know, what type, how would an auditor know that a system actually has bias embedded in it? Is that something that would be noted in documentation? Would that be something that we would observe looking at the data? Is it very output driven? So those are the series of, of questions that um, we pose to our, our very diverse panel that had a range of, you know, members from academia, nonprofits, industry, um, as well as government auditors. Yeah, and Paul, and we took the approach that we did out of a sense of urgency. Um, part of the issue is we're already responding to congressional requests to look at, at different agencies' AI implementations. And I think it's easy to say we should wait for a certain level of technology maturity before we tackle oversight. But AI development is happening at such a um, breakneck speed that we know if we wait too long, we will always be playing catch up, especially as AI start to develop into metacognition, sort of a level of abstraction that is um, you know, starting to become capable of. So we didn't want to necessarily wait um, until there's sort of a plateau of, of uh, you know, techniques or implementation or you know, critical mass of, of solutions out there. We wanted to start, and, and the goal here is to co-evolve the oversight framework as the technology itself are continued to advance. Right. Yeah. And I mean, this topic is uh, something of worldwide interest. I was just Googling this, you know, a few weeks ago. And I mean, this is all over the place, all over the world. This questions are coming up. It's, you know, because we're, I guess we're kind of at the brink of what AI, you know, is just really getting up and running. I mean, everybody talks about where it could go and some of the scary stuff about it. But I mean, you know, I, I do want to ask you guys both your opinion on, uh, you know, what do you think can be done to prevent or mitigate some of these biases that are, I guess, coded in to these uh, uh, machine learning AI tools, um, and even you know what 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 can folks do going forward to fix these things? Uh, even like training or being aware that that they're do may not even be aware that they're doing it when they're programming these things. That's a great question. I think up till very recently, data scientists have really paid attention to you know using the most exotic possible techniques to get that extra. Uh, sort of set of confidence and accuracy out. But more and more, the expectation has been placed on the data science community that we do need to think about the societal impacts of these algorithms and models. So I think it starts with the intentional deliberation of what you're trying to do. If you're developing, let's say, a computer vision program, 
uh, you know, why are you doing it? What are the requirements in terms of, you know, uh, you're trying to achieve in terms of the outcome? But also, if there are specific data sets, why did you pick those data sets? What variables did you select? What were some of the analysis of the alternative? Did you consider uh, synthetic data versus uh, open source data versus proprietary data? And then also the kind of analytical techniques that you bring to bear, why certain techniques over others? So I, I think it really begins with that intentional uh, evaluation of your approach before you even type a single line of code. And then once we get into it, a lot of best practices around, you know, how do you document your code? How do you document your assumption? How do you, um, you know, how did you actually train and tune and verify the model performance? I mean, I think those are the, um, the basic mechanics of developing algorithm. And then and towards the end, making sure that once implementation is done is not, you know, you, you don't just abandon the effort that there are monitoring uh, process in place to sort of look for model drift. Uh, continuous tuning, uh, involving your internal auditor and your external auditor in terms of oversight consideration. And, and frankly, I think one of the issues that came up with, if the decision being made by these models are disagreed, what are some of the appeal processes that needs to be in place, both administratively, but also uh, perhaps legally as well? So these are the kind of issues that are coming up. Um, you know, I, I think it, it, AI is just yet another uh, sort of type of technology that, you know, bodies like JL have to sort of think about on a continuous basis. But AI does sort of pose a unique challenges in a way that we need to think through uh, that involves both the program office, internal auditor, as well as the external auditors. To add that a bit, you know, in terms of all the questions that Taka just raised, so these, all these questions will really need to be answered by all the humans that are involved in the AI lifecycle. So we want not only just the developer or the software engineer to think about this, we want everyone that has any type of contact with the system to ask themselves these sorts of questions. Often it's the policy office, right, that's thinking about issues around ethics and bias and diversity. And so what really needs to happen is these types of issues and questions need to be, need to be asked of all those individuals along the cycle really to ensure, and that would really be one way to potentially think about mitigation to ensure that these types of unintended effects um, do not occur. And then often it's another issue is really the appropriate use where the model itself, as it was designed, didn't necessarily have this notion of bias, but it's the inappropriate use of that model. Um, I think the example that Taka shared was, you know, the model was built using demographic data from California, and then it's used in Kansas. Is that appropriate? Uh, and those are the kinds of questions that auditors will need to ask. Yeah, and something I didn't really ask in the beginning, but I wish I did. You know, when it, GAO, I mean, are you guys looking at this as far as guidance for just governmental use of AI or for all, you know, commercial government across the U.S., you know, use of AI? We, you know, for GAO, we intend to impact the mission that we undertake, which is pan-governmental oversight uh, function that we serve. Uh, but we recognize there are certainly commercial partners that work with executive agency in terms of de developing those solutions. So that's one of the reasons that we were very um, purposefully in, term, in terms of integrating commercial voices in 
uh, the sort of a, a controller general forum that we recently convened to make sure that we are hearing their voices around, uh, you know, different attributes that we should consider, especially around intellectual property, especially around some of the commercial interests as well. Um, so we intend to co-evolve. We understand our work uh, will have a sort of wide-ranging impact beyond the federal agency. So we also have state and local partners that are sort of curious about, you know, where should the oversight of AI go? And, and as Bernard was mentioning uh, in the beginning, international partners as well to look at what are some of the uh, thought process that GAO is thinking. So we're building upon a great work that other jurisdictions have done vis-a-vis uh, -vis the government of Canada, government of Singapore, as well as other nonprofit organizations. And we're specifically thinking about in a yellow book context, how do we address the issue of equity, economy, effectiveness, and efficiency vis-a-vis -vis artificial intelligence? Right. Yeah, I could definitely see in the future, you know, not too far distant future, uh, at least for an in internally government wise, you know, maybe if some guidance or regs or regulations or something out there saying that, you know, if you're going to build some AI application that you have to consider these factors and you have to take training on bias to make sure you're not putting it in there, you know, or, or when you're auditing, you know, AI, these are the things you need to be looking for. I can just see that you know, definitely just be an insert. Maybe one day A123 will be inserted in there. When you're looking at RPA and, a and AI, think about these things because it's just becoming a very, you know, big part in, in a lot of agencies and how that, how they actually do their controls and monitoring. So I'm just seeing, I have to put something on paper pretty soon, right? That is definitely happening. Uh, NIST is working on their own standards in terms of implementation. OMB is doing the same thing, and from a DOD perspective, uh, Jake is actively working on this topic of how do you mitigate and measure effects of uh, biases in their AI solution. So I think a lot of these conversations, you know, GAO's intention is to just add to the uh, discussion and be a voice uh, from the oversight perspective uh, to really make sure that as federal government agencies think about AI solution, that oversight is one of the key considerations. Right. Yeah. And I could also see from just the commercial world, you know, some law at some point being written, you know, ethics in AI or something that, you know, it just, it seems like it could be something where unintended, unintended consequences could go crazy. Right. Because, you know, AI gets up, up and running. It, it can just spread really quickly and almost like a virus if you don't watch out. So I can see some laws coming up on this stuff too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think you asked about, you know, how does this relate to the innovation lab with GAO? It, this is along the line of us uh, trying to fulfill both of our mandates. One is how do we, as an agency, also develop our own AI solution? But knowing that GAO will be asked to audit uh, on a pan-governmental basis on various AI implementation, how do we actually tackle that question of oversight? So for the audit community, this is sort of an interesting duality, and it's very much similar duality that the IG community lives in and also the state-level auditor offices are living with as well. So we intend to continue the conversation on a, on a sort of collaborative basis going forward. Okay, well, I think we're at our time. So uh, maybe I'll just, if, if, if you both want to just give us some final words or maybe some words of encouragement here, it's not all doom and gloom. AI is a great technology. We just have to be aware of what it could do. So maybe just, uh, uh, Farnaz, you want to just give us some final thoughts before we go? Absolutely. Um, no, I think definitely it's, it's an area, and as Taka mentioned, that, you know, really we have to, we have to get things started. And the audit community, the, the IG community, or the, any other third-party private sector auditor, I think we're all asking the same questions. 
So one value added, um, one role that GAO really plays is to think about this in a very broad, comprehensive way, keeping the yellow book and the green book and our internal controls in mind of what third-party assessments of these systems would look like. And that oversight is is coming, if not already there. We know our federal agencies are building their capabilities. And just in our initial conversations, uh, there is a sense of, of, of importance of oversight and the value of knowing what third-party assessment of these systems would look like. So as Taka mentioned, um, you know, we, we are working on, on several efforts on France and we plan to have a report sometime in spring of 2021. And for me, we're certainly very hopeful on what AI can do to fundamentally shape how agencies are delivering their missions. Um, so we know this is a technology that is likely not going away anytime soon, like some other fad technology in the past. So we want to make sure that we are a strong voice in sort of advocating for equity advocating for a lack of disparity and, and certainly advocating for compliance with you know, statutory language. Uh, so I think it, this is an important effort that GAO is undertaking. Uh, and, and to you know, what we talked about before, we intend to uh, co-evolve co as the technology themselves are evolving. So there's a lot of challenges ahead of us to think through use case specific, domain specific, and, and other nuances that uh, we're you know, just in the beginning stage of tackling. So looking forward to collaborating with not only our federal partners, but state, local, international, inspector general, and the commercial provider, academia, and nonprofit organization as well to really have a uh, sort of a consensus-driven uh, voice around what should an adequate and credible oversight of AI look like. Absolutely. Well, this was fascinating. Thanks again to you both. And I'm sure we're going to be talking about this for years to come, but uh, this was great. Appreciate you both coming on today. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. As always, agacgfm.org. Lots of great little podcasts there you can check out. Got a few more here ready to go. Just got to finish them up and package them and get them out there and uh, you guys will have some great stuff to listen to so until next time 